Welcome back. I'm here with Wendy Friesen. Wendy, welcome. Hello. I'm so excited, Sean. I'm excited to learn. I know nothing. I'm very willing to admit my ignorance. I know nothing about hypnotherapy. Tell me about your story. How did you get into becoming a hypnotherapist? Well, it was a really strange thing that happened because I didn't know anything about hypnotherapy at all. I have no experience of it. And my tanning salon was closing down because my lease was up and tanning was no longer like a big deal anymore because people were trying to stay away from that. And so I was sitting there by myself, nothing to do. I was probably crying because I was all devastated. <laughs> but I had the Sacramento Bee newspaper in my hand, which mm -hmm. I don't really read the newspaper like ever. And I'm looking in the classifieds, remember those? <laughs> and I saw an ad that said hypnotherapy school in Sacramento. I thought, I wonder what that is. So I called them and they said, oh, well, the class starts in two days and it's $2,000 or something. And I said, well, I don't have any money. And she said, just come anyway and you can come for the first few days. <laughs> and that's what happened. And somehow I ended up taking this nine month long hypnotherapy class. It was four days a week and it was fascinating. It was extraordinary. And for my own personal growth, what it did for me was just beyond description. Mm -hmm. And how does it work? Well, you know, you'd think that you know, what everybody knows about it is it's swinging a watch and a person goes like their eyes close and they go limp <laughs> and they do what the hypnotist says. But it's something very different than that. When you're with a good hypnotherapist, you're going to have some miraculous things happen in your life physical changes, emotional changes, you're going to get over trauma, you're going to go back to times in your life that you didn't remember consciously. But when you go back to them, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, I remember that happening. Lots of abuse and sexual abuse from people who are adults who are having problems that they go back to. And that's really something that a hypnotherapist has to learn how to work with and not absorb it. In the beginning, I absorbed their problems and then i would have their problem and are those problems things that they consciously remember or are they suddenly reminded of things that they had suppressed both so if you know a woman wanted to quit smoking so i asked her to go back to the very first time when that was really important to her where it really felt like something and she goes back to being like three years old and describing how she's sitting with her grandpa and her grandpa is smoking a cigarette and the smell of the smoke and stuff. So consciously, she wouldn't remember that detail specifically. But when we remember it in hypnosis, we still know, oh, yeah, that's what happened. That's right. He was always smoking. And I love my grandpa so much. And he's dead. And I miss him so much. That was her connection to not being able to quit smoking. Interesting. Okay. So... You access, it sounds like the subconscious mm -hmm. in, and, and it's almost like it's a distraction from your conscious mind or I guess your left brain, right? You yeah. Of... Yeah. It, it's different. And you know that this is a different state of mind. Everything's really clear. You're not just visualizing you're in the experience. There's also super conscious, which is something that takes us into another realm where we can know and learn things or experience things that are kind of outside of our conscious or subconscious. <clears throat> okay. And then when you're going through a session, is this something that everybody is capable of doing, i.e. being 
hypnotized or is there some sort of permission that they have to give? How does that work? Yeah, I would say that the permission has already been granted to them by showing up and paying money and being committed to the process. For some of them, maybe not so much like someone who pops into a past life and endures something horrific, like a guy who's fighting some battle with these swords and these people, and he's genuinely scared. He is experiencing it with the fear. He's not just telling a story. So you're in it completely and feeling things that you felt then. And a lot of times when people have these past life recollections like this, they solve some serious problem in their life. We heal it and we resolve it, but they solve something they were struggling with now. So do we know if those past lives are real? You know, in a lot of cases, people do indeed look for information in their past lives. So Bonnie, she was so hungry all the time and she just ate way too much food. She said, I'm just hungry all the time. So we did a session and had her go back to a time where she was very hungry. And I didn't say to go to a past life or anything. So she said... Oh, I don't know what's going on. And I said, why? What are you feeling? She says, well, I'm on an island, I think. Like there's just there's no houses or anything. And there's a whole bunch of people. It seems like they're all black. And I'm just so hungry. And I said, well, look down at your feet and tell me what you're wearing on your feet. And she says, I don't have any shoes or anything. I'm barefoot. And she says, it's just really hot. And I said, well, Go ask someone else what's happening there. And so she then realized that she was a black man and talking to all the other people who are black. And what is it about being hungry? And she says, well, the only thing we have to eat is this thing that tastes really bad. It's really dry and mealy. And that's the only thing we have to eat. And I said, what do you call it? And she says, I don't I don't know. I don't remember. And I said, ask someone else. So she asks someone out, one of the other men. And then she says to me, even though she's still in the experience and she's still in trance, she's just saying, this doesn't make any sense. He said it's breadfruit, but that's not a thing. I've never heard of that. So, so the slaves that were brought across the ocean, and she had described the ship and the journey there on this ship. And all they had to eat on this island was breadfruit, and they were slaves. And I've looked up the history of that. And the reason I found this is I was thumbing through a magazine, and there was an ad for the breadfruit inn. And I said, what? There's such a thing wow. as breadfruit? And then the whole story of it is that's all they had to eat. And so Bonnie's experience was very detailed, even though she did not consciously believe some of the elements of it, you know, historically. That was her experience. And then she was better about not eating so much. We worked on resolving that issue. But yeah, breadfruit, and I'm going, yeah, it's not a thing. <laughs> so when did this stuff start to happen? So when you were going through your training, did they prepare you for the fact that you would encounter clients that would just regress into recollections of past lives? Or is that something that you kind of discovered in practice. And if that's <laughs> the way it happened, what, what, yeah. like, tell me about the first time it happened. 
Yeah, well, we are prepared for it uh, if you're well trained, because people do spontaneous regressions. And when they have a spontaneous regression, you know, I wasn't leading them to go there. And we don't suggest that they should go back to a past life. But it's so frequent and the experiences are so extraordinary. So the healing it is looking at what the emotions are, the physical aspects, the trauma that was there or how they died that they haven't been able to release the trauma of their death. And some of them can like at the end of the session, I might ask them to just take yourself out of that moment, out of that body and just observe it from above. If you could float up above it and just understand that that lifetime was there to teach you something important and take with you and bring with you the positive lessons of that experience. And the first time it happened to you, what was that oh. experience like? <laughs> well, I can tell you about the first time it happened to me accidentally. I was one of the trainers in a hypnotherapy class for a whole week. And at the end of the week, they had the students hypnotize the trainers, just do a private session with them, you know? And it's so clear. And I'm lying there. And I've done the sessions done and she says, okay, now just go back to a time when you felt really loved, which is a very nice way to end a session, right? So I <laughs> went back to walking on this wooden sidewalk and looking in this shop that is haberdashery, maybe. <laughs> and there I said, that's him. He's in there. That's him. And I started breathing so heavy. I still get chills when I think about it. And I said, I love him so much. I love him so much. That's him. He's here. And I started crying so hard that I couldn't breathe hardly. I was heaving and snots flying out of my nose. And she didn't know what to do to help me. So she brought one of the other instructors over to help me with it. And probably half an hour I spent in that experience because she wanted to help me, you know, resolve whatever was happening. And so this would be an example of a student, you know, having an experience like that where it's just so extraordinarily painful. And I'm not sure what the resolution was. But something about, you know, the life that I had with him still can be honored and is still real. And you'll know if you meet him again. But yeah, it was, I mean, even now, that memory is so clear in the experience. And I can see that man in that store through that window and the wooden sidewalks. And you'd think that and this was well over 20 years ago. You'd think that that kind of memory would fade over time. And what, where was it? Do you, or where do you suspect it was? Hard to say. It was, yeah, just some town that was a little tiny old, you know, western town, dirt and wood sidewalks. Yeah, I don't know where it was, but it it may have resolved something for me. But the in interesting thing about it was how extremely emotional it was, out of my control. I was hundred percent in there. No reason to make something like that up or to dramatize something. So I know what it feels like when it, when we do pop into a different life, boy, it's, <laughs> it's mind bending. And then how does the memory feel when, cause before, presumably before that experience, you had no memory of it. And then suddenly you have this 
memory. What's that like when you wake up after getting out of hypnosis? Well, it's disturbing and enlightening because often, and with my clients, when they pop into a past life, it's usually a trauma that they're experiencing from that past life. It's hard because you can't just get yourself out of it. You can't remove yourself from it because it's so real and you're so attached to whatever's in that memory. It's enlightening afterwards, thinking about maybe past lives are real. Maybe we really do come back and live again. We have so much extraordinary information and experiences that tell us that these are real. Like the book, Children Remember past lives, something like that. But they, this person who wrote the book interviewed like hundreds of children to find out who they were. When they're about three years old, there's a sweet spot there. And you can ask them, who were you when you were big? So I asked Noah, who was, I was in the car and Noah was in the back seat and he was about three years old. And I said, who were you when you were big? And without missing a beat, and I had never asked him this, or I nobody had, I'm sure. He says, oh, I was in a big plane. It's really noisy. But I wasn't in the part of the airplane. I was underneath in the front. And I can see everything. And he says, everything's so noisy. And he says, that's where I died. And so he was like the gunman. Or, what, oh, okay. under- the gunner. The gunner, yeah. 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 Oh, and he he goes on and on with these details that are just extraordinary. And that's how he died. And he explained it to me just like, you know, as we're going to the park to play on the swings. No problem. So there's a really extraordinary story about James, which they found out so many details of his life in Hawaii during Pearl Harbor, but they got all this information from James when he was very young and they looked up the names and the people he talked about and everything was just dead accurate. Interesting. Have you ever asked someone or gone with intention or, or one of your clients gone with intention wanting to hear about past lives? And then you got something that was like a past life, not on earth or something Stranger than that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think we've had anything that is like, you know, them being on another realm or another planet or with another group of types of people. And I haven't had any alien abductions come up at all, which is interesting because you think those are, you know, they're fairly common. But yeah, that's mostly pretty earthly situations. What's the most wild situation or, the, or well, I guess most wild is not wildest, the strangest experience you've had with one of these past life regressions? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times I can see what the person is seeing. And I know now all you, the people listening are going, okay, she's Looney Tunes. That's it. No, I, oh, look, look. Just just to ground you with the audience, I started this journey by interviewing people who were part of the Department of Defense's Project Stargate. So, like, it's not that's not unusual. There's remote viewing has has been studied by 
two laser physicists at the Stanford Research Institute, et cetera. So what you're saying is not outside the realm of yeah. possibility. So, so you see what they see. Yeah. So I do this thing for people that's remote influence and also remote seduction, which is something we'll talk about in a few minutes. But I was with a woman who had been paralyzed for five years. She was an older woman living in her house and her two adult daughters took care of her. And they were in the room with me while I was working with her. I knew nothing about her except that they don't know why she's 100% paralyzed. She can blink her eyes. That's it. So I was talking to Martha and just decided to tell her a story. And the story was about a beautiful meadow that she's walking in. And there's a path up in the meadow and there's these two little girls that are walking down the path. And I told her what they were wearing and there's a little creek. I wanted to get her sensory brain open. So I said, she goes over to the creek and puts her feet in the water and it's very cold water. You can feel it on your toes. And then... I said, the girls put down this really pretty blanket on the grass and I described the blanket and the colors. And then I had her picking the little flowers that you make into daisy chains. So she'd be doing something with her fingers. You have to make a little slot in the stem and put the other flower in and they're making daisy chains. And I described what snack they were having and all this in great detail. So after this story, the two daughters who were in the room with me, they were like, their jaw was on the floor. They said, how did you know? How did you know? And I said, what? No, what? She says, that's where we went with mom when we were little girls. And that's the blanket that we had. And that's the stream that we would play in. And we had a path where we'd run up and down this hill. And we made the little flower daisy chains everything. And I'm describing this just to, to tell her a story, to get her senses to open up. So every time I went to see Martha, and I went every week for uh, several months, I would describe what I was seeing. But Martha was maybe transmitting it to me to see it because she couldn't talk or anything. That one was pretty extraordinary, even though it's like the client isn't even talking to me. She was. And even now, it feels like I'm just speechless about it. So <laughs> her fingers were clenched and tight and they couldn't move. And I would tell her about her fingers being Play-Doh and there were different colors of Play-Doh and they were very soft and that they could move. And Doing that for a couple sessions, her fingers started moving. So now she could move a finger to say yes and move a finger to say no, where before everything was just locked in. We got to the point where they could sit her up because her body would bend now. And she was hearing and responding, not with words, but with finger symbols. They could get her into a wheelchair so they could take her places and the whole medical community had said, no, there's no way. There's no activity that she has that she can respond or recover or anything. So for people listening, even if you think something's hopeless, what I have experienced in these kind of situations is that you can't give up and decide that the medical community is always right about this. So they called me and said, she's in the hospital she has a breathing tube. I don't remember the reason for it. Maybe she caused some illness or something, but they said she's, she's going to die when they take the breathing tube out. They said there's no hope. 
would you go in and see her? And so I did. I went in and she was in a private room and it's probably like intensive care or something. But I'm talking to her and I said, Martha, we both know that when they take that tube out, you're going to breathe. Oh, the biggest breath. It's so easy for you. It's the first thing you learned to do when you were born. You still know how to breathe, right? And some guy walks in like a nurse or someone he walks in, he looks at me and he loudly says, she's going to die. You're wasting your time. <laughs> oh my gosh. I said, Martha, he's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We know that you're going to breathe and that you're going to be just fine. So I go home. They call me a couple hours later, the daughters, and said they took the tube out and she breathed and she's alive and she's doing good. <laughs> but, you know, to have that kind of connection with that beautiful woman and giving her daughter is something it's, you know, their mom isn't just a bedridden an unconscious invalid. That was extraordinary. But it, it just drove home the fact that we do know what each other is thinking below our consciousness. We always do. The information is there. What other strangeness have you experienced in some of these sessions? <laughs> keep mining. I'm going to keep so mining. Much. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, there's an experiment that I do, and it all started by... <laughs> My brother and I were at the Sacramento State Fair sitting there bored and said, what do you want to do? And I said, let's see if we can get that man way over there to scratch his balls. <laughs> and so the way you do that, this is that remote influence part. As you imagine, your own balls are really itchy. <laughs> by, by the way, and this is on the creepier side. There's a remote viewer who's part of Project Stargate. His name's Lynn Buchanan. And there were certain agencies that were trying to get him to engage in remote influencing, right, for geopolitical ah, hmm. reasons. And, yeah. and the project manager of that program, I don't know if he's a project manager or he was just Lynn's boss or Lynn was working for him, said that if anybody approaches you, we don't – like that's not something we do here. We don't do oh. that. We just observe. Oh. There was a random news report during the first Gulf War, where Saddam Hussein was complaining about being attacked by psychic spies. And it was oh. written with derision, like, oh, what a crazy guy. Yeah, what a crazy thing. That's oh, remote but, influencing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have done really extraordinary experiments with this. So the first one was getting the guy to scratch his balls. So I said, Tim, just we pretend that ours are all itchy and we just, oh, just got to dig in. And then we're going to send that to him. Again, I had never done this before. And it took 30 seconds and he's down there just, you know, scratching away, digging away. So then I did an experiment in New York with my group. I had a workshop for three days. At the end of the third day, I said, everybody stand up in a circle. And then I had a whiteboard that I was going to write on. And I had two people sit in the middle in chairs and they closed their eyes. And so I said, when I write this on the board, I want you all to experience it for yourself as if you are feeling it yourself. So the first thing I wrote was a roller coaster. And so, again, the two people in the middle have their eyes closed. And no, I didn't say any words or anything, but I give them about 30 seconds to a minute to experience that and send it to them. 
And we did this with many scenarios. So then after doing like two or three of those, I would have the middle people open their eyes. I say, what did you experience? And there was two women that we started with. And one says, my heart started beating really fast and I was scared. I was going up. I was sitting in something going up and up and up and up. And I don't really know what it is, but I know I was a little bit scared, but sort of excited too. And then the other one said, I was falling really fast. And I wasn't like in danger of dying, but I was falling in something very fast. And just to so be clear, I, their, their backs were facing you, so they couldn't read what you were writing on the board. Right, right. correct. Just yeah, there's right. no way they could have because the board, yeah, it was behind the chairs. We went through several scenarios and there were some that were happy. One was just on the beach. And so the one person says, yeah, I could hear kind of birds and maybe waves or something. I felt really comfortable and relaxed. And it was, you know, and the other one saying, oh, I could feel like there's probably an ocean out there. And I was just sitting so peacefully on the beach. So they both just nailed it. And then we go dark alley. <laughs> Once, And I kept changing the two people to two different people every now and then. Dark alley. And one says, I was so scared. I don't know why. It was dark. I couldn't see anything. I don't know why I was scared, but I was running from something. And then the other one says, well, I was noisy. It was like a town or something, and I couldn't see anything, but I, I know I was trying to get away from something. And this kept going and going. Okay, now this one, the very last one, you'll love this. <laughs> I wrote on the board, orgasm. So, <laughs> and at that point, there were two women, because I, like I say, I kept changing them out to different pairs of two. And the first one I said, what, what did you experience? She said, I can't tell you. I can't. I said, come on. What, just what, what happened? She says, I can't tell you. I can't. And then I asked the other one, what did you experience? And she said, that was clearly and obviously orgasm. My whole body got so warm and I felt so good and just... I didn't have an orgasm, but it was definitely, you know, in that ballpark. <laughs> and we went through so many scenarios. It was so mind-blowing to see them get it right. Like, I would say, I don't know, 99% of the time. And that we have that power to envision and feel something and send it to someone so they feel it. So think about things we're sending to people that we don't mean to, like maybe angry thoughts or yeah. difficult things or our own discomfort or whatever, but we have that power. And are some people more skilled at it than others? In other words, was you being up there doing it and having your training make it more effectual or more powerful, or is it that just maybe works for everybody? I think anybody can do it. You just need to get yourself into that mindset where instead of believing that, yeah, that's not possible, letting yourself be that person. So <laughs> there was a man that I met and we were kind of getting to where we wanted to get intimate, but he said, well, I'm impotent. I have been for a long time. So I used the remote influence to help encourage a react an erection <laughs> a reaction. <laughs> And I just imagine, I didn't tell him, but I just imagine that he was fully functional and no problem. And no kidding. He just, he got it up like a. <laughs> and I mean, was that kind of a long-term solution or just, you know, 
Yeah, well, we didn't keep going out for very long, but that affected him enough for his subconscious mind to restore all of the ability to have an erection. So that was quite interesting because I wasn't really trying that hard to make that happen. In using it to get someone to like call you if you haven't heard from someone in a long time, you know, you could send this at any distance if we're connected as people. And I think the experiment in New York, we were all very connected after three days of being together. So sometimes it works better. But I did it to a dog. <laughs> I wish I mean look again. There's science behind this if you believe in quantum entanglement. And so it's kind of connecting the micro to the macro. That link still has to be at least scientifically established, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that this would work. Yeah. Yeah. So my friend Bonnie and I were sitting in her art studio just yakking, and it's a really big room and way across this room. It's more like a giant warehouse. But anyway, there's her dog whose face is towards the wall. And I was like, oh, come here, come here, come in. She said, oh, he won't come to anybody. He hates everybody because he was abused in the past. So I just imagined I'm talking to her. The dog can't even see me because it's looking at the wall. And I imagined gave it some milk bones and I was petting it and it's wagging his tail and happy, happy, happy. And within again, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, that dog gets up, comes over, puts his head on my lap. And she said, what? I have never seen him do that. He really, truly hates everybody. That dog would not leave my lap. And he was really stinky because he hadn't been bathed in a while. And I said, and I was like, okay, you can go now you can go. And he wouldn't leave. And I told her what I did. And then I said, well, what doesn't he like? And she said, well, the people who had him previously yelled at him a lot. So I'm talking to Bonnie, not looking at the dog. And I pretend in my mind that I'm standing up yelling at him. And within five seconds, that dog just put his tail between his legs and slowly slunk over to that wall and Aww. stayed there. <laughs> so we have influence over just everything, you know, even the stuff about plants and how you affect the life of plants. There's a book called The Secret Life of Plants. Amazing mm -hmm. how much influence we have. Now, in some of these sessions, if you've gotten permission from your clients, have you ever tried to record video or audio of past life regressions? Yeah, I have. But the recording, you start the recording when you listen to it. This was on cassette tapes because back then that was all we had to record. I would listen to the cassette tape and it would be me saying, relax, you know, go deeper and whatever. And then when you get to the part with the past life, it's blank. And then the next thing you hear is me saying, okay, bring your awareness back to the room and back to my voice. And as I count from one to five, this has happened many times. So the beginning and the ending will record. And the middle is missing. And then sometimes, especially during past life stuff, this stuff happens. Something was knocking on the door and I'm trying to be with my client. And then they're in this past life experience. And there's this just tap, 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 tap on the door. And I knew I was the only one in the building, but I had to tell my client, okay, just stay relaxed, stay right there. And I very quietly went, opened the door and looked and there's no one there. But that's happened kind of frequently. When you were talking to that client. What caused or what 
was do you believe is the stimulus of that knocking were you talking about somebody were you it was just past yeah. life that's a good question and that probably was what was happening is that there was something that was being brought in that was an energy or spirit of someone and that was the way to get my attention and i don't remember the exact details of that but yeah we, we are so connected and we already know these things my oldest son died a few years ago of an overdose and he was in denver and i wasn't I'm living sorry with... to hear that by the way thank That's... you yeah it was hard but at 10 minutes after 1 a.m., I woke up and I knew. And that's when he died. And I knew. And I thought, oh, no, something happened to Sean. Oh, no, what happened? Oh, what happened? And I was just wide awake, just like that. And there was no reason for me to think that he was on his way to a rehab that he wanted to go to because he had been using heroin. And yeah, and then, the, you know, the coroner calls in the morning and I... But exact time, you know, just woke right up. Interesting. Yeah. Have you ever, in the sessions that you've had, have you ever been able to successfully record past life regression? Or is it just every time it just doesn't work? No, actually, I have had some that have recorded that maybe it's the intensity of it, but I have had some that have recorded. Yeah. Have you ever done one where the person became agitated to the the sense that you're like i don't i don't know how to stop this or restrain them i'm not gonna have to restrain this person well i had a man that was there to quit smoking and i started the session and this wasn't a past life experience but we got about 10 minutes into the session he opened his eyes stood up and ran out the door <laughs> just Whatever he was experiencing was not okay with him. And he hadn't told me yet because I hadn't gotten to the part where we're having any conversation. And then he called me when he got home and he said, I don't know what happened. I don't know what I was seeing, but something scared me really, really bad. And it could have been something from a different entity past life. And he was just shaking. And so he said, I can't stop shaking. So I had him just close his eyes and I led him through a little session to relax him out of that. But he did keep coming back to me and he did quit smoking, but he went through a lot of really mysterious stuff and some childhood trauma and everything. But yeah, that one was like, whoa, where'd my client go? Well, at least he left and wasn't... <laughs> You don't think it's violent or anything. Yeah. And so then I think that in one of the sessions when he came back, there was a death in a past life and he didn't believe in past lives at all. So he thought that was really weird, but it was something like in medieval days and such. And so we worked through that and he did quit smoking, but I ran into him in the grocery store like many months later and he said, Look at me. I am all calm. It's been months since we did our sessions, but something was released in that battle where I died. And I'm not shaking anymore. I'm not fidgety because he was just a fidgety, nervous man. And he said, I'm so calm and my wife and I are all good and I'm just a normal guy. So something was just supercharged in him that made him so uh, just uptight and nervous. But yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> Have you ever, during one of these sessions, heard someone start speaking languages that they never 
new or anything like that? I have not. Other than sometimes the like whatever the language is of their fingers moving, because that happens in past life stuff, you know, more than once that there seems to be some kind of little communication thing happening there. But I haven't had any other languages. And I suppose that would be possible if I suggested it and said, you know, if you spoke another language, go into that language now or something. I haven't had that happen. Have you ever asked someone to go back to uh, the earliest thing they can remember? Yeah, I took someone through a, their birth. And, you know, this some of these things like that could be your imagination because you are imagining what it might be like to be born. But it's kind of extraordinary to have someone, you know, if I say go back to the very first time when you felt this feeling or that experience. So they can go all the way back to that or even, you know, beyond that. <clears throat> and sometimes there's a trauma that needs to be cleared up from a difficult birth, possibly. And they're experiencing it as an adult and still as the child at the same time, because they are aware and the memories are so clear when we go into this it's not like they're fishing around for these memories they're describing it just crystal clear and then in, in some of these experiences that people have has it improved any of their current behaviors once i mean you gave me several examples but does that generally tend to be the it does work it clears up lifelong problems that they've had like things that they have tried and tried and gone to counseling and everything they could do but it clears up issues sometimes medical conditions will go away that it's crazy but we bring with us medical conditions or pain that they have in some part of their body and these things clear up it's just it's just wild and then medical miracles, which in past lives, the miracles that happen with all hypnotherapists, you know, there's things that aren't supposed to be able to get rid of, or you've had migraines for 20 years and you can't get rid of them. They've tried everything. And then just like that, something from a past life has been resolved. And now they don't have their headaches anymore. They're just gone. Oh, it reminds me of, this one wasn't a past life, but this was a really interesting situation. The woman had migraines on Thursdays, only on Thursdays, but they were really, really bad. Like can't get out of bed the whole day, bad. And so I had her go back to the very first time that she felt that feeling and all that. Oh my gosh. So in my chair, all of a sudden she couldn't breathe and her head was like bobbing back and forth. Just trying to breathe and barely making this screeching noise. And I just put my hand on her shoulder. I said, when I count to three, you'll stay right there in that moment, but you'll be able to breathe. One, two, three. And she and I said, What's happening? She said, My husband is strangling me. He's trying to kill me. And he truly was, I guess. So, and her head's still like rocking back and forth, but she can talk and breathe. And so she describes the whole thing and I have her go through it again and just describe it now without feeling all those feelings, without being afraid, you're just fine. Just go ahead and describe it one more time. Because sometimes if we get a person to not re-experience it, but just re-kind of vivify the words, 
telling me the details of it, of what's happening, there could be a shift. So yeah, she went through the whole thing and I said, what day is it? <laughs> she said, it's Thursday. <laughs> so, when he right. never had another migraine. They were gone. Her brain was so terrified on Thursdays that it would and was that was that her current husband or her husband from a prior life? Oh, good question. I think it was not a current one. I'm pretty sure he wasn't. Yeah. Hope not. But yeah, and that was it. Every kind of doctor tried to find out what's wrong with her head. And that was the end of the migraines. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really amazing the power that we have to hold on to traumas and how they're stored in the cells in our body and we know that when a cell dies it hands off its memory to the new cell and that's why you know because we have an entirely new body physically all the time as growing new cells but it does hand off the memory to the new cell so our cells still have the memory of all the physical mental emotional stuff have you ever done a regression where someone's, I don't know, I don't know what the proper language is, but uh, super ego, higher self, whatever you want to call it, intrudes? Oh, yeah, there was a voice. Oh, gosh, yeah. This one, the woman whose brother had died... There was a voice in the room because she was communicating with her dead brother and there was a voice that was coming in. And this was another time where I thought, oh, there must be someone outside of my hypnotherapy office. And there wasn't anyone there. I know because it was totally locked up and stuff, but she was communicating with him and that voice was there. And I kept thinking there must be somebody out there, but bringing the <sighs> hypnotherapist just experienced this all the time where there is an entity, possibly the spirit of someone that's in the room, like, you know, the tapping on the door thing or mm -hmm. having control over not recording the session. But yeah, there's, and then there's the danger for the hypnotherapist of taking any of that in. Like if you're trying to help someone by absorbing their problem, you're going to possibly take on some of their issues or maybe some energetic issues. So you make sure that your awareness is, you know, that I'm solid, I'm protected, everything is theirs. It stays there with them rather than me trying to sympathize with them and take away their problems. That makes sense. Because I was getting symptoms when I was new. I was like, oh, great. Now I have the symptom of this client. Now I have... <laughs> And how do you protect yourself from that? Really, it's just kind of visualizing that I've got this beautiful white light all around me and I can totally feel that that is protection and that you ask for maybe some higher power to continue to protect you. And this maybe it's just a mindset where, okay, now I know I'm only giving to my client. I'm not receiving it from my client. Did you have any clients or experiences with clients that frightened you? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, so much. Yeah, it's tough because you have to stay really sturdy and really steady for them. But people who have had any near-death experiences 
that can be really hard to go through with them, but we've got to go through it so that we can release it and resolve it. I don't have a specific one that's popping into my mind, but I've had some of the times that are just, you know, golly, it's only me here. I got to do something. And this person is, you know, having a, oh, they're, oh yeah, I just was remembering a really difficult one. The boy that was about 14 or 15 years old and... I took him through an experience and then after he had opened his eyes and he said, oh, I figured it out. And he said, what'd you figure out? He says, well, like, look at my hands. These aren't my hands. These are not mine. Said, Whose are they? And he described something and he said, see this, none of this is mine. So as a possible schizophrenic, he created a whole nother identity that these are somebody else's. And this body is not his. And it was like, oh boy, got to got to reintegrate him so that he's himself. But then again, who are we to say that we don't have other entities that come and live within us? Because in the hypnotherapy world, there you are taught to release entities, and we don't we don't go around advertising it. Mm. But sometimes that's what you need to do. Is it real or is it not? It helps people immensely when we do an entity release, but it also, for most of us, it's difficult because if this is real, I'm now dealing with an entity that is right among us somewhere. Does it what kind of entities? What kind of entities have you released before? <laughs> well, usually it has to do with the problem that they have. Maybe someone very close to them who has died. One was like a child that had died and that entity had stayed with this person, just all different things. And it's scary at first and it's scary for the client. You know, they don't want to think that they are possessed and they're not really possessed in the way you think of, you know, it's like something's attached to them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I feel it sometimes when I'm there with a client, you know, we're in a nice dark room, got a couple candles lit and everything is so just peaceful and beautiful. And our physical bodies can feel what's happening if something is changing over from one to the other. And I just felt that presence at times. And then I have to remember, no, give this back and we'll, you know, remove it or release it in another way. And then the person is, when you release an entity, they are not okay for a few days because it's like part of your personality is gone, even though it's negative and it's harmful and they understand what happened. And they, even if they didn't believe in it, they go, oh my gosh, that's what it was. I felt like I've been living with this other being that's not me and now i feel like oh it's me now just me so it's an experience that you can definitely physically feel and do they know that these entities are attached to them or is that something that is part of the discovery process of the of therapy yeah usually they don't know and we just discover it if i ask them to go to the thing or the experience that created that problem sometimes it will come up for them that they'll describe it and describe that there is an entity or something else that's with them and sometimes their voice will change <laughs> and they will be speaking from a different like voice or maybe but i haven't ever had that where like all of a sudden it's a totally different 
person taking over. Haven't done that. And I mean, that sounds horrifying <laughs> a little <laughs> bit. Do they threaten you? How, how does it interact with you? Yeah, it is asking if it's okay for me to ask if it's okay to speak to this being and to be honest with me and willing to communicate. And then we'll do something called idiomotor response. And that means your hands, uh, I ask your fingers, this one for yes, or this one for no. And I want that being to communicate with me. And I ask yes or no questions and say, are you, have you been in this body the entire life? And it might say yes. And I said, were you, oh, would you be willing to release yourself from this body? And we get yes or a no. And we go through a series of questions. And the client usually doesn't know that their fingers were moving at all when this happens. They're really in a very different zone. And so that way it would, you know, asking questions of, if it would be okay now to let go of this and go back to the thing where you feel comfortable that you no longer need to be in this body. And whether it's a metaphor or it's real, I don't know, but it, it's pretty extraordinary to experience that. Any other high strangeness that we didn't talk about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. And just the way people experience these memories from so long ago. I did have one person that went to visit aliens and they felt they were on a different planet and that they were experiencing. And I don't remember the details exactly, but it was really interesting whether it was just their story or it was their imagination or it could be that it was real, that they experienced that. Yeah. Yeah, so the aliens, certainly lots of evidence that they are among us, and it would make sense that a client could have experiences with them. As you know, we talked a little bit about my experience with that, but yeah, my clients definitely have times where they need help figuring that out. And it's right. usually very uh, hard for them to talk about. And we'll save your experience for the, the next episode, but anything that you want to leave the audience with? I think the main thing is uh, understanding how you can have miracles in your life to get past anything that is not good for you or happening to you, even if it's physical and the medical community says, nope, nothing can be done. I have extraordinary evidence from decades of doing this and even doing it with people that I've been flown all over the world to do work with them on difficult subjects. Don't give up hope and don't just decide that when they, you know, close the book on you and doctor said, nope, can't help, that it's not possible. It is. And the miracles are just, as I said, extraordinary. So know that the possibility exists for you to, for instance, get over phantom limb pain. Man's foot was cut off because he had diabetes and it was all infected and everything else. And five years of phantom limb pain. He said, I can't go to sleep. I have to drink a fifth of whiskey every night just to try and go to sleep, but it just hurts like it's still there. So 
I've done this phantom limb pain with several people and we just got rid of it completely. It's gone because the brain thinks that foot still exists. Well, it does exist to the brain. And so the brain is trying to heal that foot and it sends all of this energy and messages to that foot. Or a lady who lost her leg in a motorcycle accident at all the way up at the hip, but her brain believed she still had a leg that needed to heal because it never got the message back that this is healed, that you can stop sending these impulses. And then her phantom pain was gone. And this guy's his phantom pain in his foot was gone. So anyway, so for the listeners, no matter what it is, if you want help, seek out a good hypnotherapist. Make sure you look at their training, look at how long they've been doing it. You want to get someone who's really well trained and experienced and you can have a miracle <laughs> and for people who are looking for that how can they find you you can go to wendy.com it's w-e-n-d-i.com we have a big network worldwide of hypnotherapists that i can refer you to and i also have a lot of recorded sessions i have hundreds of topics of recorded sessions for you to Quit drinking, get over some bad habits, get out of your depression, attract the love of your life, restore your sex life. The most popular ones I have are on enhancing or restoring the sex life. And even some really weird things, because some guy asked me once, can I make my penis bigger? And I said, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I can't do that. But he said, please just make me, I think it was a tape, cassette tape back then, and just make me a tape. And he was so and you did i did and <sighs> did it work <laughs> yeah, he, it's funny he he was on a business trip for a month so he was away from his wife he listened to it for the whole month he went back got back home and he said wendy it, it grew i measured it and stuff but it grew but it was hard to get it in because it was too big <laughs> Is that, can people find that on your site? Yes, I've, oh, it's a, well, probably my best-selling thing. It's called Living Large, and it's not just about size. There's several mm -hmm. sessions. It's about giving a man a lot of confidence sexually and really being so connected with their partner and feeling really good about, you know, they're performing. So you don't have to think, oh my gosh, what if I can't get it up? Or what if it's, you know, if I come too quick or whatever. So it gives you a lot of sexual confidence. And I love the program because it's more than just your size. It's giving you the things you need to be a really wonderful lover in bed. Well, <laughs> if you have that, I'm sure you have something for weight loss and quitting smoking and all that stuff. Yeah. The, the normal stuff. Yeah. So, well, the, I, sex I stuff, the sex stuff is great. I have, no. you can give a woman an orgasm by rubbing the back of her hand. <laughs> by listening to one of the tapes or? It, well, you would, you would use the program and then it would be connected to someone making little circles on the back of your hand. And we did a national TV show where we did this with a woman at, on the show. And she says, yes, I just had an orgasm for real. <laughs> all right on that note <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> all right well it was an absolute pleasure and i look forward to speaking with you in the next episode yeah thank, thank you, you sean this was very fun if you enjoyed this video please click on like subscribe and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime i post something new